Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and I find it incredibly difficult to believe that this is the season finale of Don't Retire, Graduate for our third season. Uh, And for all of our listeners, I can't thank you enough for being uh, loyal listeners, for leaving the reviews that you do and uh, and really making this show fun. We will have one more episode next week of Office Hours with our final extra credit assignment before our summer vacation. But today, we have our last guest of season three, and I can't be more excited to have Cody Laughlin on the show. Uh, Cody is the host of The Money Talkers. He, in his in his infinite wisdom, had me as a guest on his show. We had a whole lot of fun, and I'm excited to introduce him to our audience. Cody, welcome to the show. Eric, let's do this. I'm excited to be here, man. I can think of no better way to close our, our third season um, than with a, a true podcasting expert. I mean, you, you've, you've done close to 200 shows, uh, and those are just the ones you've hosted. So I, I guess let's, let's learn a little bit about you and about your story and how you got into podcasting and how you got into the, the money conversation and personal finance. So money talking has been something that I have been open to for quite a long time. Um, it, the reason I named the, the show Money Talkers was actually I started it out as the trillionaire uh, movement. And that's because I wanted to teach a million kids to be millionaires. And a million times a million is a trillion. So or a million millions is a trillion. And so I can't spell very well sometimes. So I, and I didn't want to keep autocorrecting. So I need to get something different than the word trillion in my name. So I, went, I decided that, you know, I found out a, a marketing trick. And not trick, I would say a tip that if you can identify as something, that's the strongest force that you can have. So if you say, I am a money talker, it's not taboo and it's not out of context, it's not uncomfortable for you to talk about money. And so I ended up coming up calling this the money talkers. As I set out originally, what I wanted to do is I wanted to teach personal finance to kids. I It goes back to being 19 years old, sitting in my first finance class at the University of Central Florida. I was in school to be a marine biologist had never really known anything about personal finance, finance, you know, money. Uh, in my house, we talked about entrepreneurship because my parents were entrepreneurs. So I always assumed I could own a business, but we never talked about money. And so I was sitting in a finance class and they explained compound interest to me. I was 19 years old and I was sitting there and he said, I remember the exact example. Um, it was burned in my head. He said, if you make, if you put $2,000 a year away doing summer jobs, from the age of 16 to you know, uh, 20 years old, you'll have more money than if you put $25,000 a year away from 50 to 60, if you wait till 65 years old. And the math just blew me away. I was so just enamored looking at it, thinking wide-eyed, like, wow, this is possibilities. Like, why? And then I started thinking, like, why am I learning this right now? You know, I had just graduated high school. I had a pottery class the year before. You know, my, my coil coasters were going to come in real handy when I was 65 years old. I didn't <laughs> well, know what a mortgage was. I didn't know how insurance works. I didn't know what an interest rate was. I had a bank account, but I didn't really understand what that was. And it just really started tearing at me sitting in that class because what I started thinking about was here I was in class learning about this at 19 years old, wide-eyed and very, you know, in, in, in a very, you know, contained environment. 
95% of the kids in my class from this year before were never going to hear this information. And it really kind of stuck with me. So over 20 years, um, there's a, you know, I think there's a, there's a big story to unpack about how I got there. But uh, 20 years later, I had the ability to um, quote unquote retire, which I'm excited to talk to you about. And, uh, and I wanted to give something back. And I was in a coaching group with about 2,000 entrepreneurs that were paying $30,000 a year to be together. So this wasn't low level, you know, pie in the sky type people that were thinking I want to have a, a com- company one day. They were all business owners and very successful at it. And I brought the subject up because I thought about, I want to give something back. And I kept bringing it up. And every one of them to a T were like, oh my gosh, I wish I had learned some of this stuff. I wish I had learned about money when I was a kid. Like I could have done so much more. I mean, where I'm at, where I'm at with all the ups and downs and bumps and bruises, but my parents never talked to me about money. And I asked them, I said, well, do you talk to your kids about entrepreneurship? And they said, yeah, absolutely. They lit up, you know, because entrepreneurs do that. We've all got a little bit of hubris in us and we all kind of light up to get excited to somebody else wants to talk to us about it. And then I turned the question on them and I said, well, do you talk to your kids about money and personal finance and successful mindsets? And they said, well, I try which is code word for no. And what I realized at that point was it was going to be very hard to push a string to teach kids about personal finance, but it was a lot easier for me to say, you know what, I'm going to connect the parents and I'm going to give the parents the tools and the encouragement and the information that they need so that they can talk about money in their households because it's going to be very difficult to teach all things finance. As you would know, Eric, you've got a you know a litany of... Um, you know, uh, letters behind your name with CFP and every other one back there. Right. But so there's, you really never, you really never learn it all. But what I could do is I could help them open the conversation so that when they're having small money talks with their kids and their families, they would be able to later in life when the questions come up, because there's an unnumbered, uh, unnumbered amount of variables there can be that they would have somebody in their corner that they could go to and talk to about these things and that they would strengthen that relationship and build it together. Because if we plant just a little bit of seeds, they have so much, they're so rich in time that the compounding effect of it, just like compound interest turns into, you know, huge effects later in their life. And that's where money talkers came from. I I love that. And I do want to come back to the idea that you retired in quotes, but before we do, um, let, let's talk a little bit more about this financial literacy piece, because I happen to believe, and I, I agree with you completely, that financial literacy is one of the keys to financial freedom, to ever reaching financial freedom. You have to understand what decisions you're making before you can possibly make good ones. And the challenge that I have, because I, I, I desperately want to help young people learn this, and it's not taught in schools. And the fact that you got that in school is kind of amazing, really, um, because so few do. Um, it's not taught in schools for lots of reasons, but parents don't understand this stuff. And, you know, if, if you learn habits from your parents and it's not deliberate and it's not thoughtful, you're going to learn a lot of bad habits. And, uh, you know, people bring the habits that each of their parents taught them either by accident or on purpose to a marriage. And then married couples fight about money because of the lessons they each learned. And it just really does snowball and cause problems. And starting early is the best possible recipe for abundance i mean there's no more valuable commodity than time when it comes to building wealth 
you know, I, I, we, we have conversations with clients all the time and we, we actually do meet with their, with their kids. Sometimes they're high schoolers, sometimes they're college, sometimes they're young adults. And what we tell them is what you have on your side from a time perspective is priceless. It's something none of the rest of us can get back. So, so tell me about some of the resources, some, tell me, some of the things you use to talk to, to kids about money or to talk to parents about talking to their kids about money. What are some of your best practices? Yeah, I, I'm glad you say that because, um, you know, there the the pushback you usually get is parents will say, well, I, they'll say a few things. One, I'm not a financial expert. Two, I don't know where to start. You know, three, I don't want to talk about my situation, right? Because it's going to get better if you stick your head in the sand. And so one of the one of the things that's really come out of this, I've learned so much over the 200 episodes I've done in the last year and a half. And I have gotten to speak to experts, high achievers, you know, um, just people that have, have taken the path and gotten somewhere really great in life. And what I found most of the time is that none of it's a straight line, right? It's always up, it's down, it's up, it's down, but they're learning. And so they're trying. And the thing that I always find about is if you take action, it doesn't matter if you fail. If you ask my kids, my kids are seven and nine and I really my little test subjects, but if you ask my kids, like, what, when do you fail? They'll say, when you quit. Then you say, well, what happens if you tried something and it doesn't work? And they said, then you learn how not to do it. And I really feel that that is the key to these things because you're taking such a giant subject that you really can't learn everything about it. And so people use it as an excuse to not try it at all. But the thing is, is that if you know how to open a bank account and your kid doesn't, you're a money expert to them. Right, you just have to take a little bit of action and a little bit of time. And so, with the podcast, that's really the main takeaway was is setting goals and actually just determining what you want. If you don't have an, a target to aim at, you know, it's like driving a car and you're going. You, if you're not going somewhere, you're just literally driving up and down the streets. There's anxiety, there's confusion, you know, there's uh, there's just a, a sense of hopelessness. But if you know where you're going and you've got clear directions to get there, it's a whole lot easier and you're going somewhere. It's exciting. It's fun. You know where you're going and you, you've, got a, you've got a purpose in life. And I really feel that financial planning and, and just having the conversations, it has to start with where do you want to go? Because once you get a plan in place, and I do this with business owners, I do this with people that I talk to, I do it with my own family, and I had to learn these things. But if I have a goal lined out and it's clear, then I put a timeline on it then I can make a plan to get there and I have very small steps. I break it down. You know, if someone says, hey, I wanna make a million two a year uh, in my business, because that's what you hear everybody say. They'll say, oh, I wanna make a million dollars in my business. Well, that's revenue, first of all, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> but let's say it's a million two. So it's $100,000 a month. Okay, you need to make $25,000 a week. If you're gonna work five days a week, you need to make $5,000 a day. How do you do that? Well, making $5,000 a day is a lot easier problem to solve than making a million two a year but if you don't make $5,000 a day and figure that out in very small steps, you can't get to the million two, just the way it works. And that works a lot of the way with personal finance. You have to take small steps, determine where you want to get to, put the plan on plate in, in place. Because I feel like, you know, you mentioned something where a lot of couples and a lot of divorce comes from money arguments. A lot of those arguments come because they're not on the same path to where they want to go. They haven't had that conversation. They just want to be better. They want to have more. They want to buy more. They, you know, it's just very generalities. But if you sat down and make a plan with your significant other and you guys had a clear cut agreement of where you want to get to and then you get to start determine how you're going to get there, that all that stuff goes away. 
the confusion goes away. The you know anxiety, the wondering, the blame uh, that starts those fights. If you're both going to the same destination, then you're in the car together. Then you're going to get there a lot more successfully, and it's going to be a, it's going to have a, re- a reverberation through the house, and the kids are going to see that and they're going to feel that as well. So now they don't have anxiety about money. So more is caught than taught. What that means is if you have a bad relationship with money or you have anxiety or you're having arguments constantly about fighting about money, they're going to pick that up no matter what you tell them. And so you need to take action today to change the way that you interact with it. And if you feel uncomfortable, it's because you're not running towards a goal. You're not getting, you don't have a plan in place. You're not on the same page with your significant other. And if you want your kids to be successful, which I've never met a parent that doesn't, then it's on your shoulders to take a stand today. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't do it in the future. It's something that's important. Put Netflix off, turn down Disney Plus, whatever it is that you're doing, take that time where you're using it and not having a purpose to get somewhere and spend that time where you want to go and, and get your life in order with these things. Because you know it's, it's the same saying where they say, you know, most people spend more time planning their vacation than they do their financial life. I, I often hear that said as people spend more time on their vacation than their retirement. So I want to come back to what you said in the very beginning of our show because I loved it. You, you sort of put retired in quotes mentally or audibly, which I love, because you're retired and you're also busy and active and productive, which is what we're trying to teach people to do, that retirement is not disappearing. It's not a retreat. It's not a surrender. It's a graduation to the next phase of life. So can you talk about what retirement and you can define that any way you want. But what does retirement mean to you? Well, as I alluded in the very part of it, that there was a big story to unpack in between where I got from 20 years ago to where I am today. Um, but when I learned that thing, the, the financial pieces in that finance class when I was 19 years old, um, I also had an interaction with a guy that gave me a book. And it's a very you know, well-known book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And after reading it, it was the first book I've ever read cover to cover. And after reading it, I decided I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. And so I told everyone that because I spoke it into existence, right? And at 27 years old, uh, I was a millionaire on paper. I was a big paper tiger, though. I had four businesses. I had condos on the beach. I had rental properties. It was just, I I thought I had life by the tail. And uh, as I tell people, I thought I was on a rocket. I thought I was one of the world's greatest businessmen. And uh, it turned out to be a rocket, uh, a bottle rocket, and it just blew up on me. Uh, so at 28 years old, it was $700,000 in the hole, no uh, in foreclosure, IRS tax liens, unfiled tax returns, uh, four businesses closed, no prospects on the on the on the table for me. And so <laughs> I I am not very much a, a pity party person uh, in that part of my life, though. I did take a month or two of just why did this happen to me? And uh, one day my wife looked at me and said, what are you going to do about it? And my mom had asked me that most of my life because life is going to hit you with things. And when you have the determination to say, this isn't fair, this isn't right, or it's the way the world is, or the whole part about it is what are you going to do about it? And so I determined I was going to start, I was going to look in the mirror. I was going to look at myself and say, you know what? You're not a good businessman. A good businessman wouldn't have had this blown up on him. You're not good with money, and I, because I, I, I was clearly in, in wishing. I, I tell people this, Eric. I, I wished I was broke, right? 
So I went on a mission and I started learning. I came across the FIRE community, which is financially independent, retire early. Um, you know, there's some crazy stuff in there, but I really, it really gave me hope that if other people could have enough passive income that they could have the freedom to do the positions and the job and the impact that they wanted. And so I fixated on it and I said, I'm going to be retired by the time I'm 40. I needed a new goal. And I did. I set out and I said, okay, that's, you know, 10 years from now. I'm $700,000 in the hole. I'm in foreclosure. I don't have a job, but I'm going to retire in 10 years. And I just kept thinking that. And I said, okay, what do I need to do in year one? And I started making a plan. And that's where I come to. I said, okay, in year one, I need to be here. Year two, I need to be here. Year three, year four, year five. All right. So if I need to be year one, I need to be here. Where do I need to be at the end of month one? And I said, okay, what do I need to do day one? And I broke it all the way down to what I needed to do to get to the position, to the goal that I wanted. People look at you know budgeting and they look at uh, life planning and things as an anxiety issue. And for me, what I found out was when I could turn it around, it was an empowerment issue. You know, I think coffee gets brought up a lot when we start talking about personal finances, like skip the $5 coffee, but people look at it as I'm taking something away. When I made sacrifices and choices not to buy things or not to spend my money, what I was doing was I wasn't wondering where my money went. I was telling it where to go. And when I did that, I had a goal to get to. And so that goal was bigger for me than the little tiny sacrifices that I didn't care about. And I would pit those things. And so I never felt like I was taking away from myself. I always felt like I was giving to myself. I had a goal to be fire and retire early before the age of 40 because I wanted to play with my future kids, which I didn't have yet. And so I would think about those things. And by, that's why I said the most important thing you can do is set the goal. Because once you've set the goal and done the planning, it's easy to say no. That's what a lot of people don't understand, that you need the ability to say no to things but it's not no and I'm taking away from Cody doesn't get something. I'm saying no because I have a bigger purpose. I love that. I, I, and I especially love this idea that you didn't wonder where your money went. You, you told it where to go. Uh, that is an empowering message and one that I hope um, resonates with our audience for sure. Because, um, you know, I, I sometimes refer to budgeting as the B word because nobody wants to talk about it. It's like dieting. Um, and, you know, going on a crash diet might, might allow you to lose a few pounds, but it's not the same as having a mission of, of, of health. And I think the same thing's true with a budget. A budget in a short term to save X dollars or to, uh, to pay down a certain debt or something is, is great and it can be helpful. But if it doesn't change your behavior, your lifestyle, your attitude, your philosophy, you're liable to wind up back where you started. So uh, it sounds like you you made a a, a huge um, you made a huge recovery from what some would have referred to as an insurmountable certainly debt if not financial situation um, and now you're retired you're able to play with your kids you're um, you're you're doing the podcast what other things are you doing in your so-called retirement <laughs> so uh, I own three businesses. Um, so that's my retirement. <laughs> that sounds but, like retirement. Uh, that's, that's retirement in my book anyway. I like that. I, I, it makes me happy. Right. And, uh, but you would be, you know, my, my actual work hours is what people require. You know, they, that's what they, they attach to retirement, right? Like, I don't want to work anymore. 
but it's not really work for me. Like I, I really enjoy what I do. I like to build. Um, I like to keep my mind active. You know, I'm still, I'm still at 41 years old and I tell people that I'm, I am retired, but I do, I actually just get to have freedom. And that's really what, for me, what retirement is. I'm not chained to something. Um, you know, my businesses work for me. I don't work for them. I have, you know, really, really dug into efficiencies. I had a company with 110 employees and now I have one and three companies. And so I enjoy what I do quite a bit more because I get to work on the things that are important. I don't do any of the busy work stuff anymore. And so when I talk about retirement, what I really just have is I have freedom. And that's where, you know, you kind of talked about the how, right? Like the budget is kind of the how to save, to, to know where your money's going. But you got to determine the why. The why is way more powerful when you're up against it because it takes the hows are easy. There's step by steps. There's plans. There's people that can help you. But if you don't determine that why inside of you, that's the fire. That's the burning piece that says, "No, I don't. I'm not going to go and I'm not going to buy that thing that's in the you know that it's an impulse buy that's going to that's going to blow my budget." Because if you have a because, I want to be XYZ, right? And whatever your why is, if you can add that because of I'm not going to do that because, and you have your why on the backside of it, the how is a lot easier. So let's talk about entrepreneurship a little bit because it, like yourself, I, I have, I've started a business, I do run the business. It sometimes does run me, however, so I could take some pointers from you for sure. Um, but entrepreneurship is a special bug and not everybody has that bug and not everyone feels that they either can or want to take that kind of leap or that kind of risk or that kind of even responsibility. So talk about how that that burns a fire in your belly, how it gets you excited and how you can coach other people or encourage other people who are thinking about taking that leap to, to do it. So 14 is the number right now. That's how many businesses I've started. <laughs> uh, 10 of them have failed miserably. Uh, four of them I've done over $200 million in sales. Uh, between the four of them. And it is a process like anything else. You have to start, right? I tell people, like, to be able to find your voice, you have to start talking. You know, the to be the, the, the Michelin chef, you got to start as the busboy, right? If you ever listen to Joe Rogan, who sold his podcast for $100 million, if you ever listen to his first podcast, like the first couple hundred of them, they're atrociously bad. And so... The people see this. I, I actually interviewed the guy who started. Um, he wrote the software for Carvana, which is the largest used online, uh, largest used car dealer in the world now. But it's a, it's also an online platform that you can shop and buy things for. And he said, you know, I was he was from Stanford um, with a lot of the guys, the Google guys, and all those kind of people. And he said, you know, uh, when I sold the software that I wrote to Carvana, he goes, everyone touted me as an instant overnight success. He goes, but they didn't see the 10 years that it took me to write the software and struggle and live on couches and, you know, eat poor food and do all these things. He was like, I was, I chased my dream so hard that everyone thought I was an overnight success because no one had heard of me until they bought it. And that's a lot of what you need to think about when you're looking at small business uh, working. There's a really, really good book that I would uh, encourage anybody who's thinking that because they have a technical skill that they can run a business and it's called the E-Myth. It's the entrepreneurial myth. And it basically likens it to this. Like we have six pieces into a business. We think we have the technical skill. So let's say you're the guy who's putting the roof on the house. You're not the roof company owner. And you say, man, I make 
twenty dollars an hour putting roofs on, and this guy just got three thousand bucks for you know selling this roof. I'm going to open a roofing company, and it works somewhat. Usually, in the first six months, year, two years, maybe you can you can kind of just put a saddle on your back and will your way into staying in business. But all you're really doing is just be going from being an employee to self-employed employee, right? There's a quadrant where you need to run into to be to move up, and so you become the business owner. And as the business owner, it's really difficult to take that saddle off the back because you want to run. That's how you built your business. You just proved it to yourself. And to hand off pieces to other people so that they can do them as you bring in team members. And then the ultimate ascension is into the investor. And what I like to call it is built for exit. And so you're building a business. There's only three ends to a business. You close it, you give it to someone, or you sell it. Well, obviously, the best choice is selling it. Entrepreneurship is the fastest path to wealth. It's probably the most risky, but you can actually control it. And so if you're building a business to sell it, what does that mean? The business doesn't need you as the owner. It doesn't need you. doesn't need your work. So if you can look at a concept and look at a business and say, okay, could this? Could I go take a two-week vacation? And if that gives you anxiety, you've got work to do inside of your business. If you could go take a two-week vacation and you couldn't take your cell phone, let's put it that way, right? So you can't you can't sneak off between my ties to go shoot emails back to your you know your staff and employees. If they could run it on their own, then you've built a business, and that's really what I've done. Uh, I've learned to do over all of my failures. Um, you know, I've learned from them and. The ability for me now, if I wanted to take off for a couple of weeks, it wouldn't suffer at all. And that piece was a big learning process. And so what I generally do as the owner and the entrepreneur and being now that I'm in the investor stage, what I look for is I look for what I call the big domino. And there are things in your business, if you picture a four box piece, you've got urgent and um, not urgent, you've got important and not important. The majority of business owners spend their time in urgent, important, and urgent, not important. Replying to emails, putting out fires, handle customer support, uh, your employees got a bad attitude, they didn't show up today, you know, all the stuff that really like at the end of the day doesn't move your business forward. But if you can if you can focus your attention into the um, not urgent and important bucket, right? If you can figure out what the one thing is you could do today that would really move the needle in your business. And generally you have some of those things in your mind because it's, oh, I want to do this down the road. Oh, I don't have time, but that would be really helpful, impactful. If you spend your time in that and find a way to take the things that don't really move the needle in your business, if you knock down that one thing every single day, the rest of the time that you spend on a business is just bonus. I, I love the quadrant piece and, um, and I actually have put that in front of our team before i mean you, you really are this cody you're describing covey. uh Steve, it's a it, it's a yeah. stephen covey piece yeah it, i didn't you, come up with are, it I'm not, you, when i'm repeating a lot of things it's not really a lot of my original ideas it's things that i've learned from people that were way more uh successful and smarter than oh, I. oh I, I completely understand and i certainly do the same thing i actually think that's a, a leadership trait in and of itself is finding some greatness and, and deploying it right but um cody you've described my life so since i'm getting some free therapy today um, you've described my life as as wanting to take those two weeks off and step away from the business, which I now am able to do. So I feel like that's big progress. You know, we've got an amazing team of people. I still find myself in break, fix, urgent 
um, mode more than I want to, but less than I used to. So I think there's there's hope here. And by the way, I'm a math guy. So for you to say you started 14 businesses and four were successful, um, that's you're batting 285, which may not be a Hall of Famer, but you're you're a solid utility infielder at least. And if you're also hitting for power, you're in good shape. I mean, as long as the as long as the four hits are, are dingers, you you you're on any roster in the in the in the bigs. That's so, my strategy. Swing big. That's a that's that's a beautiful thing. I could talk to you all day. Um, we're we're actually running um, to the end of our show and the end of our third season here. And I think you've you've actually already given us several assignments, several extra credit assignments, whether you know it or not. But I'm going to ask you to to distill it down to one. The one takeaway that folks can have, uh, having spent some time with us, and uh, and and what would that be? What would the one piece of actionable advice to help graduate into retirement be? Well, you used one of my favorite words right there, actionable. So my one takeaway would be this. If you're listening to podcasts, you're already feeding your brain, right? Your brain will seek to validate what you put into it. And so if you continually put good positive things, the things you want to get better at, those are the things you should consume, not the mindless dribble that we watch through entertainment. But if you've got good inputs coming in, that's the first step. The second step is to take action. They don't need to be big actions. You know, that's what you mentioned earlier, like crash dieting, crash budgeting, right? You're usually already pretty too far. I like to tell people with money talkers that I'd like to put Dave Ramsey out of business and not his education side, but his helping people get back out of the debt side because I was a Dave Ramsey graduate because I looked for everything I could because I had messed up so bad. But what I learned was is that if you take small amounts of action, then they have big results. Everyone looks at the big results and they say, well, you know, oh, you were lucky. Uh, Well, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. So if you think that your opportunities come and then you prepare to learn how to take advantage of them, you're too late. So if you are starting to build now and you're listening to this podcast, whether you've got kids or not, you need to start taking small steps. They add up over time. I once had someone tell me, they said, hey, do you read business books or sales books? And at the time it was, um, I was the best salesman on the team is what I told him. I said, no, I said, the best salesman you got on your team. And he said, well, do you, why not? And I said, well, because a lot of it's just repeat. You know, it's just, there's one or, he's like, do you don't get anything out of it? And I said, yeah. I said, maybe I get, you know, uh, a nugget or here. And he said, well, do you think you get 2% better at sales? And I said, yeah. And he said, what if you wrote, what if you read five books a year? I said, well, I'll get 10% better at sales. I'm a numbers guy too, right? And I said, all right. And he goes, well, where would you be at in 10 years? I go, be 100% better than I am today. And he goes, so you can get better and you should be reading books because you've got a 40 year career ahead of yourself and you could be 400% better by the end of that. And he goes, actually it has a compounding effect. And since you're a banker, you can do the math. He goes, you'd be in the million percent better than you are now. I said, okay, man, I'll start reading books. (laughs) And so (laughs) if I get to that, if if, if my one takeaway is anything is just start. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to, there are no, financial savants, right? There are people that, that, well, I guess there are, but you can't get there unless you start taking little steps, but little bit of steps has a lot of impact. And especially if you've got a family, involve your kids with it. Go in with no expectations would be my best thing and ask a lot of questions. 
would be my other best thing when you tell me when talking to kids about these things. And Eric, I'd like to leave you with one quick story about something that I learned from my podcast by people telling me that, you know, you should ask your kids questions, ask your kids questions. I said, okay, well, what does that mean? And they said, ask them why. When you get stuck, right? When you get stuck in an uncomfort- uncomfortable conversation with your kids, ask them why. They're, they're asking the question. And I said, okay. And I don't know where it went. It went somewhere in the back of my head, you know. And one day, uh, a couple months later, I'm walking through my kitchen and I'm holding a big thing of like barbecue because I like to barbecue. And my son stops me right in the steps, right in the way into the kitchen. He, and he's, you know, six years old at the time. And he says, uh, he says, Dad, how much money do you have? You want to talk about an anxiety question? Because <laughs> I'm running through my head. Like my initial reaction is like, don't worry about that. And then I'm like, wait, I'm the money talker guy. Like I got to just lay it all out. Now I got to explain to my six-year-old where all my money is and I have, what kind of investments I have. And I'm like, my brain is like just having an epic civil war inside of itself. You know, and, uh, and I'm like, I got to tell him. I'm like, I can't talk to him about this. What am I doing? I'm holding barbecue. You know, I mean, it's just going crazy. And somehow it popped up in my head. Ask him why. And I just stopped and I set the plate down and I, and I got down on his level and I said, son, I said, why, why do you want to know that? And he said, dad, he goes, you know, I have a hundred dollar bill, right? And it's like, it was like his, he, he talks about it all the time. It's like his, one of his, his prized possession, right? And he's like, you know, I have a hundred dollar bill. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, I need to know if you have a hundred dollars, because if you don't, I want to give it to you to help the family. Wow. Waterfalls, man. Wow. Wow. <laughs> like just, I mean, I welted up so hard and I just looked at him and I, I didn't even know what to say. I just hugged him and I thought I would have missed this moment, right? If I hadn't, if I, if, if I hadn't listened to things or talked to things or found out, like to find out where they're coming from, if I had just done the normal reaction that we do as parents and shut it down. I would have I would have missed one of the most beautiful moments of my life. That's a great story. I'm th- I thank you for sharing that. Um, we're we're wrapping up, Cody. Where can people check you out, find out more about your your show or or the work you're doing, so that uh, our, our listeners can can get more from you? Absolutely, I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the people who have listened to this. Um, thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you also, Eric, for having me on the show. Um, what I would do is I would encourage you to seek out Money Talkers podcast. It's got a big uh, emerald green logo with my smiley face on it. And uh, I've interviewed, you know, high level entrepreneurs, high level parents sometimes, and actually some kids. And, uh, and I get a lot of actionable tips. We do two different um, podcasts. I do kind of a learning zone of genius podcast, uh, which you were a part of. And then we do the high impact series. And so in the high impact series, it's they're less than 10 minutes. It's a one piece takeaway, which is why I love that you asked me that at the end of your show. Um, but it's to get people out of the learning loop. Like if you don't know where to start or what to talk about, you can just listen to this for 10 minutes and have a dinner conversation with your kids. And there is some amazing advice that comes out of these podcasts from these people. And it really boils down to a takeaway, take actionable piece. You don't have to t- tackle the whole world. You could just take away one high impact series, money talk, or like you said on the end of your here, just what's a takeaway and then go take some action. Sage advice, my friend. And uh, Cody Lachlan, thanks for joining us on Don't Retire, Graduate. Uh, I thank all of our listeners for listening to another season of Don't Retire, Graduate. We will be back 
uh, next week with an office hours with your final summer reading for the year. Uh, And then we'll be back in the fall with a new season kicking off in September. Uh, If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and post comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts or other download sites. Don't Retire Graduate is a book available in print, Kindle, and audio formats, and it's a workbook with all the steps you need to build your own financial freedom plan. For more, go to BrotmanMedia.com or buy a copy and leave us a review on Amazon. We'll be back next week with our final episode of Office Hours and later in the year with our next school year season. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.